0: One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more.
1: Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker.
0: And today, we are taking it back to one of, if not the best superhero game, easily of the 2000s, that earned itself plenty of awards, even getting into the Guinness Book of World Records for basically what it brought to the gaming community, what it brought to the superhero community, and how it kind of still lives on today.
1: Yeah, I felt like this game really ushered in a new interest in revitalizing superhero video games, because Mm -hmm. it had been attempted and done, but a lot of what we were getting was essentially like a movie video game, and we have a ton of those in different genres as well, where they just were trying to copy the success of a movie franchise and put it into video game form and make a quick buck. But this was a game that actually had a lot of care put into it. And it wasn't based on any type of movie. It was based of course on Batman, the superhero character, but it had all these cool elements that really made you feel like you were the Batman of old, not the Mm -hmm. over the top superhero Batman, but like the detective Batman that was really there to solve not only uh what the joker was doing but and to stop him as he does but but to really like get into some small nitty-gritty detective work as well which i think is a really core aspect of batman the character that gets overlooked a lot of times
0: yeah it brought in those powers it brought in deductiveness used for like let's say entering into a vent to sneak into an area versus just going to the front door and you know, various other Batman villains included that you could kind of snoop around and find out about. So let's get into the game today. Batman Arkham Asylum is a 2009 action adventure game developed by Rocksteady Studios and published by Idios Interactive in conjunction with Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. Based on the DC Comics superhero Batman and written by veteran Batman writer Paul Dini, Arkham Asylum was inspired by the long-running comic book Mythos. In the game's main storyline, Batman battles his archenemy, the Joker, who instigates an elaborate plot to seize control of Arkham Asylum, trap Batman inside with many of his incarcerated foes, and threaten Gotham City with hidden bombs. Most of the game's leading characters are voiced by actors who have appeared in other media based on the DC animated universe. Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, and Arlene Sorkin reprise their roles as Batman, the Joker, and his sidekick, Harley Quinn, respectively. The game is presented from the third-person perspective with a primary focus on Batman's combat and stealth abilities, detective skills, and gadgets that can be used in combat and exploration. Batman can freely move around the Arkham Asylum facility, interacting with characters and undertaking missions and unlocking new areas by progressing through the main story, Or obtaining new equipment the player is able to complete side missions away from the main story to unlock additional content and collectible items combat focuses on chaining attacks together against numerous foes while avoiding damage while stealth allows batman to conceal himself around an area using gadgets and the environment to silently eliminate enemies arkham asylum was released worldwide for the playstation 3 and xbox 360 video game consoles in august of 2009 followed by a Windows version a month later. The game received critical acclaim, particularly for its narrative and combat. Reviewers called it the greatest comic book game of all time and the best superhero game of modern times. It won several awards, including Best Action Venture Game, Best Game, and Game of the Year from various media outlets. And it held the Guinness World Record for most critically acclaimed superhero game ever, which I think was dethroned by the newer Spider-Man game.
1: Which is also a fantastic game, and I believe there's an episode on that one already. Yeah, this game really, though, I I feel like it came in and just kind of surprised everyone, because like I was saying, we were really used to those style of games where it was just trying to emulate something else. It wasn't trying to do anything unique, and And it did such a great job of just making you feel like Batman and and feel like Mm -hmm. you were in the world of Batman. Let's talk about the studio who did that, uh, Rocksteady Studios, and they were founded on December 13th, 2004, so just a little short while before this game was actually released to the public, Mm -hmm. and they were founded by Jamie Walker and Sefton Hill formerly employed by the previously closed Argonaut Games as creative director and head of production, respectively. Several other Argonaut employees were also hired. SCI Entertainment, later named Eidos, was a founding investor in the studio, holding 25.1% of the company's shares. Rocksteady's first release was the 2006 first-person shooter Urban Chaos Riot Response, developed using the Havoc engine and published by Eidos Interactive for PlayStation 2 and Xbox. After Eidos obtained the rights to make a Batman game in spring 2007, they approached Rocksteady, who presented their take on the Batman license, and by May 2007, they had begun developing the concept of Batman Arkham Asylum, with full production beginning in September of 2007. The game's commercial and critical success led publisher Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment to acquire an undisclosed majority stake in Rocksteady. IDOS retained its 25.1% stake, and Rocksteady later became wholly owned by Warner Brothers. In August 2020, Rocksteady announced their next game titled Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League with plans to reveal details at the DC FanDome event later that month. A Suicide Squad game had been teased at the end of Batman Arkham Origins, developed by Warner Brothers Games Montreal, and in the years since Batman Arkham Knight was released, Rocksteady had been rumored to be working on a Suicide Squad game. There had also been rumors that Rocksteady had been working on a Superman game, but they have denied these rumors.
0: Yeah, and we're supposedly, hopefully, going to see that Suicide Squad game 2024 or so it's gonna be some type of looter shooter uh where you're gonna be playing as one of four different squad members uh it seems kind of neat and it's supposedly so it'll be the fifth installment is what they're saying of the arkham universe so i'm definitely excited to see like what that actually brings
1: one thing that stands out to me about this whole process you know the company's founded just uh, what is it five years before this game comes out um, not even, you know, they start developing it, basically a two-year turnaround time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. crazy to me, especially when you think about how long the turnaround cycle is for video games right now. That's the thing,
0: is just, just how quickly this all came to fruition, and it shows that you have these veterans that kind of come together to make this other studio after there's closes, so they already have this rapport together, and... Possibly taking on some of the stuff they learned from their first game to apply it to this one. Now, as we know, Batman: Arkham Asylum was first announced in August of 2008, and this is after Idos had obtained those rights to Batman in Spring 2007. And when they approached Rocksteady, they're like, "Hey, we got this idea. What do you got for us?" And so they sent in this prototype. And at ID's request, Rocksteady presented their approach to the Batman license and began in May of 2007, developing the game's concept, and they went into full production beginning in September of the same year. Writer Paul Dini, who's worked on the Batman animated series, the Detective Comics, was first approached by DC Comics around late 2007 about the prospect of creating a story for an original Batman video game. Dini found the idea intriguing believing that few batman games were based on an original idea instead being adapted from film or television dc comics asked dini what his approach to writing a new batman film or graphic novel would be but one that was designed for gameplay he later met with the rocksteady team where it was decided that dini's ideas were in line with what rocksteady wanted to achieve by the time dini joined the project Rocksteady were investigating the idea of setting the game within Arkham, and had produced preliminary designs depicting it as a huge estate on an island connected to mainland Gotham City by a bridge. The cast had not been finalized, but given the setting, it was certain that the Joker would play a large role. The game and story were developed together, with the limitations of mechanics requiring the story to be built around them. The core aim was to make the game engaging enough for players to spend 8 to 10 hours completing it, especially those uninterested in Batman franchised media, which was definitely me at the time. I'm, I'm not a huge superhero person, but seeing the engaging combat like definitely brought it in and engaging story as well. And Rocksteady would guide Dini when they thought he was writing too much story or character motivation, so getting, again more into writing for graphic novels or writing for story and less for this, like, hey, let's give the player agency and let's let the story just mellow a little bit.
1: Yeah, that is definitely a unique aspect of video game writing, right? Where for a movie, um, a television show, a comic book, you're able to control everything and and what happens and why Batman does a specific thing, but you have to have that autonomy in video games. You have to have Mm -hmm. the ability for people to kind of go out and explore things on their own. And you don't necessarily need to make it where there's multiple endings or avenues, or if they do this, there's a cause and effect. But just leaving things a little bit open-ended so that you don't feel like you went into a cut scene and it's totally counterintuitive to everything that you've been doing before that. I've talked about that before with Red Dead Redemption 2, where you could play a super nice guy, but in those early cut scenes of Red Dead Redemption 2, if you were playing it that way, that stuff doesn't really line up and it, it feels a mm-hmm. little jarring at first. Whereas by the end of the game, it starts to match a little bit better how you've been behaving throughout.
0: Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is and allowing that agency to be like, Hey, I do want to know the story, but I, as a player want to progress it. I don't necessarily want to sit and watch a whole movie, but I do want to get the context of the cutscenes built into the actual game that I'm going to be playing. And so among various Neil Adams and Frank Miller penned Batman stories, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth, was an inspiration for the game's design. Producer Nathan Burlow said the narrative and atmosphere of the 2007 game Bioshock influenced Arkham Asylum's design. And director Sefton Hill said the influences of the gadgets and abilities that can be combined and used in different ways, as we all know, because every game comes from this at this point, (laughs) Came That's from right. the legend, <laughs> came from the Legend of Zelda and Metroid. So we're always going to see that Legend of Zelda the OG game. I guess was basically the pinnacle of like a drop of godly honey to the gaming sphere because everyone's <laughs> like, listen, I played that and I made a game about it.
1: <laughs> I mean, we could go on about that for hours. Uh, you know, it's we've done a lot of Legend of Zelda games. We should probably just need to do the OG one at this point, but. When you think about video gaming, and as far as it being like an adventuring experience, not really a thing until Legend
0: of Zelda. Yeah, exactly. So the one thing that I really enjoyed about the idea of making this Batman, because every Batman in these comic universes kind of takes on their own Batman-esque-ness to it, even though it is still Bruce Wayne. It's Bruce Wayne V 7.0 or something like that. So what the design team did was they isolated the components that they felt made Batman and exaggerated those elements. And then the design team also sought out the contradictions that were the facets of the character and dropped some. And elements like his refusal to kill enemies were strictly enforced, which provided additional challenges in allowing the player to have complete freedom in the game. Without transgressing on that fundamental aspect of the character. Now, again, when you play like the Spider Man game, the Batman game, you clearly kill people.
1: <laughs> like, you're not killing people, but their yeah. quality of life is going to be very, very poor. Like, yes. Spider Man is kicking a guy off a rooftop, and you can watch him spray the guy with a net, but he's, he nets them directly to a skyscraper you know, three blocks over. And so <laughs> that guy is probably paralyzed, but
0: after just like suplex dive bombing into his back while he pulls both of his arms towards him with webs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and then just leaves him up there for the birds to go at him. You know, he's alive for now. I don't
1: I don't know if there was a real comic or a fake comic about it, but someone has definitely made a commentary on Batman and like the perspective of the criminals. And it's like the the aftermath of a Batman scene where the guy's like bones are sticking out, <laughs> and, like the guy's kneecaps are shattered. It's like, yeah, he doesn't kill. He
0: just maims and just permanently maims disables. Bit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's
0: about it. Just a, li- a light maiming, some might say. You're alive. <laughs> My now, conscience is clear. I'm fine. Hey, listen, when I walked away, you were breathing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Now... Man. The interesting thing with this is that the Arkham Asylum setting was chosen because it confined the player to an area containing several enemies. Whereas in an open city setting, he could receive help, return to the Bat Cave, or otherwise be able to distance himself from his opponents. And we do see a little bit more of this in the future titles, because obviously, city is the next one we get. And it definitely opens that area up, creates more difficulty for the team to create. Quests and random events. So I think Asylum, especially for getting this new style of gameplay in a Batman game and bringing these villains together, it makes sense to kind of restrict you to this area to kind of like not railroad you per se, but to keep you on the tracks of kind of where you should go and what you can explore to keep you in that sense of like trying to quell this Joker plot going on at the Asylum. For sure. I don't
1: have anything to add to that. That's good summation. The development team wanted to include iconic aspects of the Batman mythos, and decided early on in production to have Conroy, Hamill, and Sorkin reprise their roles in Dini's Batman: The Animated Series as Batman, the Joker, and Harley Quinn, respectively. Hamill has thousands of lines of dialogue in the game, and Conroy has relatively few in comparison. After seeing character models of the Joker's Arkham Asylum appearance, Hamill decided to portray the character as dark and gritty, while retaining a clownish and playful nature. Although the game features references to plot events in both the animated series and Batman comics, the story does not directly follow any singular story or depiction of the character. Which I think makes sense, because you don't want people to have to go and, you know, like read entire novels or uh, comic books just to know what's going on in the story. Who would want to play a video game like that, Alex? (laughs)
0: Listen, you could play the first three. (laughs) (laughs) No, it, it makes sense because all of us, for the most part, who are in some type of nerd culture, know of Batman, know of the Joker, probably know of Harley Quinn. And so, and and know at least some of the stories around it. So it makes sense to build some of that in there because it's not, this isn't the first time they're all meeting. They have rapport. This is way down the line of like Batman's tired of the Joker. The Joker's like, Hey bats, it's me again. I got a plot for you. So it's, it's yeah. deep into their like relationship. So we already know of a lot of those aspects that's happened, And we don't need that origin story, per se. I mean, we obviously have origins, again, later down the road. Sure. But this is kind of giving that idea of, like, anyone who's seen the animated series or read a comic gets the idea of that Joker-Batman relationship.
1: And what they're essentially saying is they're not doing any sort of reinvention of the character, which I feel like is really the only time that you need that origin story once more. Because Batman's definitely in the pop culture realm well-known enough to where you get the gist of everything and and yeah I mean as long as you have that familiarity it makes sense then that you could hop into a Batman story at basically any point and sort of understand what's going on without having to see all that stuff again we don't need to see Ra's al Ghul we don't need to see all this like weird um you know Brotherhood of the Shadows like they did for the the movies with Christian Bale. Mm -hmm, You don't, mm -hmm. don't necessarily need that stuff. The game took approximately 21 months to complete. Rocksteady began development with a team of 40, which had expanded to around 60 by the game's completion. Combat was considered one of the greatest challenges in developing the game. The system went through three iterations. Rocksteady originally developed the game's combat as a full rhythm action game. It was later set in 2D, which involved colored circles crashing into each other during fights. And the final system was based on this 2D model. Combat was designed to be unique for Batman and was given a simple control scheme to reflect the ease with which Batman can perform the moves. Arkham Asylum was built on Epic Games' Unreal Engine 3. Ido's president, Ian Livingstone, said one developer spent two years programming Batman's cape, using over 700 animations and sound effects to make
0: it move realistically. Which seems ridiculous, but we've seen this a lot with different varieties of, like, main character iterations, Um, even in stuff like Ratchet and Clank and other ones where it's like, we have so many different animations to build into this, and it really did feel real. Again, it seems crazy to have, like, all these different things for the cape, but like jumping off of stuff and flying and moving and like rotating the Cape goes with you. So to have these like individual framing effects for it, it does make it feel real. And it's such a important part of
1: that character as well to not pay attention to the cowl and the Cape and all that stuff. I mean, you just can't get away with that. You have to put the effort into that because if that's clipping all the time, it's just going to take you out, and and that's not something that you want. And we see that a lot with loose materials in the real mm-hmm. world that make their way into video games. I think, again, another Red Dead Redemption reference, but the lasso in Red Dead Redemption was a very difficult thing for them to program. You know, and then, of course, there's the cape in this. Um, mm-hmm. There's There's plenty of games where just the... The capes, the clothing, whatever, just has weird clipping with hair, you know, maybe it, you have a long hairstyle and it clips right through the clothes or something like that. That stuff is noticeable and it's cool to see them put that effort into a game
0: that's, you know, released over 10 years ago now. Yeah. I mean, that that's the main point with it is is to take in those efforts. Again, the cape doesn't seem that much, but when you see... It's, it's very much like CGI these days. When you see good CGI, you shouldn't see that there's CGI. It should just fit in really well. But you know when you see bad animation or bad CGI, that really sticks out. Like, imagine, like, his cape, like, clipping through his front and freaking out and doing those other things. It ruins that immersion, ruins that experience, so it's well worth putting the effort into that. The developers intended to use other Batman characters in the game but these were removed when it was decided that they would not work within the story. For example, Batman's enemy Mr. Freeze did not fit because the character has different motivations to the Joker, which is very true. Unlike the Riddler, who's obsessed with proving his superiority over Batman, Mr. Freeze does not hold a personal grudge against him, and Mr. Freeze would not care about the other villains' plans. A garden maze under Poison Ivy's control was considered as a location. She could grow it in different directions. And in its center, Batman would find the Mad Hatter hosting a tea party. But the developers decided these ideas would not match the game's tone. Batman's vehicles, the Batmobile and Batwing, were considered for inclusion as well. But developing unique control mechanics and gameplay segments for them would have taken too much time and compromised its quality. The vehicles appear in the game, but players cannot control them. And again, that makes sense. This is very much that intro game into Batman, the control, the combat, the idea of the story. Because we see all of these inclusions, for the most part, in the following games. And they work really well in that idea of, after Asylum, it's the city. We're going to run into Mr. Freeze, probably. Like, he's doing a whole different motivation that's like, I don't care about anyone else. I'm just here to try and save my wife.
1: Yep, absolutely. And so having that plan and that forethought, it adds to the prior games as well. I'm sure people, of course, are disappointed, like, oh, I'm not necessarily going to get to use the Batmobile or the Batwing, but having that stuff planned out to where it's like, okay, it's, it's referenced and we have plans for it, but you know, you just don't get it quite yet at least setting it up for that makes the earlier games feel a little bit more natural, I think.
0: Rocksteady began conceiving ideas for a possible sequel, which later became Batman Arkham City, approximately seven months before development of Arkham Asylum was completed. Rocksteady developed ideas for the sequel's story and setting so the game's narratives could be effectively connected. A secret room containing hints, blueprints, and concept art for the next game was hidden in the Asylum Warden's office in Arkham Asylum. And the room remained hidden for six months following the game's release until Rocksteady revealed its presence. Arkham Asylum's musical score, which we're going to talk about a little bit further on, was composed by Ron Fish and Nick Ardell, who also composed the soundtrack for the sequel, Batman Arkham City. Yes, so what's really cool with that secret concept room was no one found it until they had to be like, hey guys, if you could find the warden's office, which had to do like a very specific routing, we got all like these secrets of like what the next game's gonna kind of be, which is kind of cool.
1: Easter eggs and games are great, uh, mm-hmm. especially one that hints on something like that. Sometimes you get like little references to other video games, maybe. Maybe you find like a mushroom in a place or you find sure. like a plumber that's wearing red with like blue overalls or something like that. Yeah. But to have actual hints about the next game, I mean, that's a, a nice big hint. Yeah, super cool. So to develop the game's overall aesthetic, the main aim was to create designs that would combine comic book style with realism. The environmental architecture and characters had to be extravagant enough to represent the Batman universe but needed realistic texture and detail. The second aim was to recreate the dark gothic imagery inherent to the Batman universe, especially Arkham Asylum, so that the structure would feel as insane as those human houses. The Asylum was considered an ideal location because it can house many of Batman's foes and Batman's design was heavily influenced by the work of comic artist Jim Lee, who drew Batman as a strong, muscular character who could believably take part in extreme combat. His black and dark gray costume was based on modern versions, and has military influences and an industrial look. Approximately 13 concept designs were produced before his final appearance took form. Artists avoided film interpretations of the Joker, partly because the developers only had access to the rights to the original Batman license. Alan Moore's 1988 graphic novel Batman The Killing Joke influenced the character's design. Harley Quinn underwent a drastic redesign, removing her black and red full-body outfit and Jester's hat and replacing them with a costume with design elements from a nurse's outfit and a schoolgirl's uniform. Wildstorm, Lee's comic book publishing company, produce concept art for the game. And Jim Lee is such a big name in the comic book industry. Mm -hmm. He really influenced an entire generation of comic book artists. And I think that he's a really great representation of that 90s style of comic book that a lot of people, even if you weren't into reading comics, you probably were seeing his influences on posters and um, in probably influenced by the animated series as well as uh, different apparel and toys and and all kinds of different things. And The Killing Joke as well. There's been a little bit of a uh, re-interest emerged in that. They did an animated uh, version of this just a few years ago. And Alan Moore, of course, uh, did The Famous Watchmen hmm he's done uh, all kinds of different iconic darker grittier comic books and he's sort of famous for doing this one shot batman the killing joke which is a really great comic book and i recommend reading it if you're into that kind of thing
0: highly absolutely it's on my shelf of things that i own that are batman of like the three things
1: <laughs> <laughs> batman's got a lot of great Great one-off storylines. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's great about Batman. And, and DC Comics in general, I think, do a really great job of just doing these little one-off stories that you can jump in and jump
0: out of. Absolutely. So designs for the asylum departed from comic interpretations of a large mansion and instead developed an entire island with hints of Alcatraz prison composed of multiple buildings to allow for greater variety and exploration. Each building was designed with a different architectural style to make the facility appear believable and to imbue each location with a history. The medical building was inspired by Victorian architecture and its metalwork structure was intended to inspire feelings of horror. The intensive treatment unit has a gothic industrial aesthetic. The catacombs beneath the facility inspired by early 20th century brickwork and Victorian industry. They were meant to feel oppressive the maximum security area was designed to feel claustrophobic and was retrofitted like a bunker, and the Arkham Mansion displays a high Gothic style. The designers integrated crooked lines into environmental objects, such as trees and drain pipes, where possible. And 40 rooms, 34 corridors, three exterior areas, and three scarecrow-induced hallucination areas were designed for the game. To bring these areas to life, The level designers produced game mechanic elements using simple room layouts and shapes, while concept artists worked in tandem to create artwork for each location, following the art direction. Environment artists would then build 3D layouts based on those designs. Finding an appropriate color palette for the game would be difficult. Browns and monochromatic colors could depict the desired dark and moody atmosphere, but the developers wanted the aesthetic to resemble the vibrant color schemes of a comic book. To this end, they used saturated colors for in-game lighting. Lighting was an important component of the game, being used to highlight points of interest and to draw the player onward in otherwise boring corridors. To maintain the intended level of detail and allow the game's console versions to fit into the device's memory, each area had to be streamed in and out of memory seamlessly to free up memory for textures and geometry. All of the cutscenes were storyboarded by Rocksteady artists, being visualized in the game engine before the character performances were motion captured. The design team decided that cutscenes should be used to advance character relationships, and that after each cutscene, the players should have had their goal changed or the importance of their actions modified. Priority was given to keeping action scenes under the player's control rather than showing them in cutscenes, which is so big for games like these, where like if you're going to fight a boss, you don't do like a ha-cha-ba-ba-ba-ba in the cutscene, and it ends, the cutscene is the aftermath, or the driving point of your story, or to figure out what's happening between point A and B, and it makes so much sense to build it in that style.
1: Absolutely, and that's probably where a lot of the plot elements had to be taken out of the hands of the writers, and just you know, making those moments that would normally be like these really, I think, in comic books, these really wordy back and forths to just, you know, normal video game boss style fighting.
0: Exactly. And so to have that just like really made sense and the cutscenes in and of themselves are fantastic and they serve a purpose versus just being a filler or like loading the next scene for you later down the road.
1: A demo version of the game was released via digital download for the PlayStation 3 on August 6, 2009, and for Xbox 360 and Microsoft Windows on August 7th. The PS3 version of Arkham Asylum unlocked a Batcave-themed virtual apartment for players on the social gaming platform PlayStation Home. Additionally, North American game retailer GameStop ran a contest which allowed one winner to be rendered in-game as an Arkham inmate a series of action figures based on character designs from the game were released through Warner Bros. outlet DC Direct. A collector's edition containing the game, a 14-inch replica of Batman's Batarang, a behind-the-scenes DVD, a leather-bound 48-page book about Arkham's inmates, and a code to download the Crime Alley Challenge map was released. Pre-ordering the game at some retailers allowed access to the Dem Bones Challenge map. The Game of the Year version was initially announced for release only in Europe, Asia, and Australia, but a North American release was later added. The Game of the Year version includes the game, support for TrioViz 3D visual effects, two pairs of themed 3D glasses, and the six released DLC challenge maps, two
0: of which were omitted from the North American version. Now let's break down the characters and kind of who they are and their voice actors within the game. Arkham Asylum is set in the fictional Arkham Asylum, a facility on Arkham Island off the coast of Gotham City that houses criminally insane supervillains. The game features a large ensemble of characters from the history of Batman comics. Three voice actors, as we know Kevin Conroy as Batman, Mark Hamill as Batman's psychopathic nemesis Joker, and Harley Quinn, who is voiced by Arlene Sorkin. We also know that Batman is aided by his allies Oracle, voiced by Kimberly Brooks who remotely provides him with intelligence, and police commissioner James Gordon, voiced by Tom Kane. In the asylum, Batman is faced with several supervillains. He must defend himself from an enraged Bane, voiced by Fred Tatascore, subdue indiscriminate serial killer Victor Zaz, voiced by Danny Jacobs, confront the monstrous killer croc, voiced by Steve Blum, defeat the plant-controlling Poison Ivy, voiced by Tasia Valenza, And battle his way through hallucinogen induced nightmares created by the Scarecrow, voiced by Dino Andrade. The Riddler, voiced by Wally Wingert, does not physically appear in the game, but communicates with Batman and challenges him to solve riddles placed around the island. Other characters appearing in the game include the Asylum's warden, Quincy Sharp, also voiced by Kane, Batman's parents, Thomas and Martha Wayne, voiced by Conroy and Valenza, respectively, and Asylum Guard. Aaron Cash, voiced by Dwayne R. Shepard Sr. The shapeshifting Clayface appears in a cameo, taking on the guise of other characters as he tries to trick the player into releasing him. The Mad Hatter was almost included in the game, but the developers removed him, and the body of Raza is in the asylum's morgue, and the ventriloquist dummy, Scarface, appears several times throughout the story. Several other characters, including the Penguin, Jack Ryder, Mr. Freeze, Two-Face, Catwoman, and the Asylum's founder, Amadeus Arkham, are referenced in the game, but do not appear in it. So this starts that idea of, like, who all can we include? Who's available to put in here? And you know so many of these they wanted larger parts or even have in the game, but making it that, like, concise asylum to build into the city and make more of these characters available then just makes more sense, especially, like, the Penguin, Mr. Freeze. And Catwoman, not really ever having a need to be in Arkham Asylum, makes sense for none of them to be there.
1: Batman's got a lot of villains. When when you list them all out like that, it's like an overwhelming amount of villains. So, oh yeah, I'm super glad that they didn't put all of those into this game.
0: Exactly. I mean, it'd just be too much. And like saving them for later iterations and making it just more impactful, like be able to go to like Penguin's club and deal with Mister Freeze and like a. Frozen area just makes so much more sense than to have them like behind a cell.
1: Right, absolutely, and using the Joker and drawing you in with the Joker just it makes sense. He's Batman's most iconic villain. Everyone wants mm-hmm. to play a game where it's a Batman versus Joker type of situation, and then move on to some other things, some other iconic characters. I think that that was the right decision as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Let's talk about that story with the Joker. He actually assaults Gotham City Hall, and he is caught by Batman and taken to Arkham Asylum, which temporarily houses many members of the Joker's gang, who were transferred after a fire at Blackgate Prison. Believing the Joker allowed himself to be captured, Batman accompanies him into the asylum. The Joker's plan is revealed as Harley Quinn takes control of the security and the Joker escapes into the facility aided by a corrupt guard who kidnaps Commissioner Gordon. The Joker threatens to detonate bombs hidden around Gotham City if anyone tries to enter Arkham, forcing Batman to work alone. Tracking Quinn to the medical facility to rescue Gordon, Batman is exposed to the Scarecrow's fear toxin. After fighting off Scarecrow's hallucinations, Batman finds and subdues Quinn before rescuing Gordon. The Joker then directs Batman to the captured Bane, who has been experimented on by asylum doctor Penelope Young. The Joker frees Bane and Batman fights him, during which Quinn escapes. Afterward, he goes to a secret Batcave installation he had hidden on the island, where he restocks his gadgets. There, Batman learns that the Joker returned to the asylum to gain access to Young, who has been developing Titan, a more powerful version of the venom drug that gives Bane his strength, Intending to use it to help patients survive more strenuous therapies. Young learned that the Joker had been secretly funding her research to create an army of superhuman henchmen. Her refusal to hand over the formula precipitated Joker's return to the asylum. While searching for Young, Batman destroys her Titan formula, then rescues her from Victor's Oz. An explosion kills Young, and the Joker obtains the completed batches of Titan.
0: At the penitentiary, Quinn releases Poison Ivy from her cell before being imprisoned by Batman. Quinn accidentally reveals that Joker has a Titan production facility in the Arkham Botanical Gardens. Batman travels there and learns that Titan is created by genetically modified plants. He learns from Ivy that the spores required to create an antidote are found exclusively in Killer Croc's lair in a sewer. Afterward, Joker injects Ivy with Titan, enhancing her powers and she begins to ravage Arkham Island with giant mutant plants. En route to Croc, Batman encounters Scarecrow again and pursues him into the sewers. Scarecrow is attacked by Kroc and dragged underwater, and Batman recovers the necessary spores and subdues Croc before returning to the Batcave, but can only synthesize one dose of the antidote before Ivy's plants breach the cave and destroys equipment. Batman returns to the Botanical Gardens and defeats Ivy halting the rampaging plants. The Joker announces that the preparations for his party are finally complete, and Batman travels to the asylum's visitor center to confront him. The Joker reveals he has recaptured Gordon and tries to shoot him with a Titan-filled dart. Batman leaps to Gordon's defense and is shot instead. Batman attempts to resist the change, and an upset Joker takes an overdose of Titan, mutating into a massive monster. In a makeshift arena on the building's roof, the Joker challenges Batman to a fight as Titan-induced monsters in front of news helicopters. Batman refuses to transform, uses the antidote on himself, and defeats the Titan-affected Joker and his henchmen. In the aftermath, those affected by Titan begin to revert to normal, including the Joker, who is taken into custody as police officers retake the asylum. Batman overhears a call about a crime led by Two-Face in progress and flies back to Gotham City in the batwing. In a post-credit scene, a crate of Titan formula is shown floating in the ocean near the asylum when a hand surfaces and grabs it. So a little little keep you on the edge of your seat what's going to happen in the next one ideas.
1: It's going to be the super shredder. <laughs> yep. So, while there was not a multiplayer released with the game, in August of 2021, YouTuber Ice Mage was able to launch the game with a co-op mode after tinkering around with the game's file settings. Other additional mods allow several players to play the game at once, but not without some issues taking place during cutscenes and boss fights, as is to be expected with a game that did not have a multiplayer, but yeah,
0: just a fun little thing. It is very interesting. We've seen that more recently with a lot of YouTubers, basically programmers turned YouTubers, who have modded and messed with games. One, Two of the biggest ones being Mario Odyssey. They've made an eight-player version of it. And then most recently, right before the release of Tears of the Kingdom, uh, there was a YouTuber, Point Crow, with him and his team had created a multiplayer mod for Breath of the Wild, allowing four players to play simultaneously, um, And they got it down almost to a formula where it works throughout the whole actual gameplay.
1: Which is, I'm sure, extremely challenging because there's just
0: so many things within that game that interact with each other. Can't even imagine. So much. But they made some fun game modes like tag and hide and seek type stuff, which is kind of fun to play with Mm. those things. So definitely pretty cool. Yeah. And of course, as always, let's
1: move over to the music and sound. The Batman Arkham Asylum official soundtrack was composed by Nick Arundel, with some additional music from Ron Fish as well. Before any progress could be made for making the game's soundtrack, careful consideration was needed as the world had just been freshly exposed to a new generation of Batman, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight franchise. With the first movie releasing in 2008, Batman fans had just recently become accustomed to Hans Zimmer's new minimalistic and orchestra-heavy themes for the superhero. Pair this with the classic 1989 Batman movie score by Danny Elfman that many people already knew, Arendelle and Fish were going to have to stand out in some way. So without stepping onto the toes of Elfman, Zimmer, and other composers for past Batmans, the new twist by Arendelle and Fish was to instead create a mixture of Elfman and Zimmer's music. They took some of the classic and simple textures of Elfman and gave them a creepy twist with Zimmer's pounding electronic flares. Some tracks even contained an occasional taste of blues, possibly hinting at the 1966 Batman TV series theme written by Neil Hefty, which, of course, you all know, the one is... Batman!
0: Yeah, so trying to compose this and get an idea of it, it's tough. It's tough to go after the greats and ones that were like cemented in that history of the character. Now, overall, the music was very successful in accompanying the ever changing gameplay, using the Unreal Engine's ability to quickly switch between moods as a tool to help enhance the player's experience. When paired with the grim visuals of the game, the players were able to be fully immersed into whatever they were doing, whether that be exploring or fighting enemies. The Batman Arkham Asylum official soundtrack contains 27 tracks for a total of 46 minutes and 32 seconds, and was released through Warner Bros. licensee Water Tower Music. Numerous awards were won by the audio department as a whole in 2009, including the Spike Video Game Awards Best Voice for Mark Hamill's Joker and Arlene Sorkin's Harley Quinn, The Outstanding Achievement Awards for Character Performance and Original Music Composition from the AIAS Awards, Sound Editing in a Game Cinema and Use of Sound by the National Academy of Video Game Award Trade Reviewers, Nominations for Original Score and Use of Audio at the British Academy Video Game Awards, and Nominations for Audio of the Year and Best Dialogue at the Game Audio Network Guild Awards. So, yeah, a lot went into this just to create that immersion, not just visually, but auditory as well. Definitely a very
1: difficult uh, assignment because those are some very iconic composers. composers and, it's, and
0: scorers.
1: Yes, it's it's very, very challenging, I think, to to want to... You want to be able to create something that's iconic in its own right, but you don't want to insert yourself so deeply, I think, into that process to where the musical score then overwhelms the gameplay and overwhelms the Mm -hmm. the experience and i so i think that's a really difficult position to be in but they did a great job absolutely batman arkham asylum was released for playstation 3 and xbox 360 in north america on august 25th 2009 and on august 28th in europe and australia it was released for microsoft windows in north america on september 15th of 2009 and on the 18th in Europe and Australia. A Game of the Year edition was released on March 26, 2010 in Europe and on May 11th in North America. Feral Interactive developed a Mac OS X version, which was released on disc and as a download on November third, 2011. On the Windows version of the game, the developers used an anti-duplication measure that disables Batman's glide ability and causes other bugs, preventing copied games from progressing beyond a certain point. Although not the first game to implement such countermeasures, Arkham Asylum received media coverage as this was seen as a novel method of copy protection. A Nintendo Wii version was in development by Redfly Studios before being cancelled. Batman Return to Arkham, developed by Virtuos, features remastered versions of Arkham Asylum and Arkham City using the Unreal Engine 4 for the PS4 and Xbox One. Additionally, both games include all previously released downloadable content and feature improved graphics, upgraded models and environments, and improvements in the lighting, effects, and shaders for both games. Originally intended for release in July 2016, the collection was delayed indefinitely in June that year in order to give the development team, quote, additional time to deliver a polished Batman Arkham game experience collection was released on October 18, 2016. And in April 2009, it was announced that the Joker would be a downloadable playable character for use in the game's challenge maps exclusively for the PlayStation 3. Additional DLC packs were later released. The Insane Night Pack, containing the Totally Insane Combat and Nocturnal Hunter Stealth Challenge maps, were released on September 17, 2009. The Prey in the Darkness pack was released on September 23rd of that year and contains the Heart of Darkness Combat and Hothouse Prey Stealth Challenge maps. In North America, the Prey of Darkness pack was released exclusively for the PlayStation 3.
0: So still in that hot era of getting those exclusivities for certain consoles and which I'd rather have that than behind like big paywalls.
1: It was a lot of that in that era yes. where it was. If you get the PS3 version, you're getting this. Xbox 360, you're getting this. Order it at this place, and you're getting this. Order it at this place, you're getting that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of that still exists a little bit more, but I think that there's been enough pushback to where it's not quite as extreme as it was. I think the worst one that I remember was Soul Calibur 4. I was just about to bring that up. (laughs) Soul Calibur 4, if you bought the PlayStation 3 version, you got Darth Vader. And if you bought the Xbox 360 version, you got Yoda Mm -hmm. and both super iconic characters, both things that people wanted to play. And eventually they were made available uh, for both consoles as DLC, but it took a long time. And it's those kind of things that I think players find really frustrating.
0: Yeah. And again, this. Came out, eventually get the DLC packs. And that's why you always like, even modern game times, wait for the game of the year one to come out. It's got all your DLC, your, your content that you want. The bugs have pretty much been hopefully squashed and fixed by that point. And if it receives game of the year, it's typically sold a bunch and it's an okay game and will play. Just wait it out. you will be fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially a game like this too, that, I mean, if you're a big Batman fan, I'm sure you're excited for this game when it comes out. Sure. For me love Batman, love, love comic books and, and all that stuff. But this game was one of those that I was kind of like, okay, well, I've seen enough video games about superheroes that have fallen flat. Let's just see what happens. And so I did exactly that. Waited for the game of the
0: year edition was not disappointed. Yeah. Perfect way to do it. So now as we're wrapping this up, let's get to what this game did, how it sold, where we're seeing it today. So worldwide, the game sold nearly 2 million units in its first three weeks of release and had sold 2.5 million by the end of September 2009. Batman Arkham Asylum sold approximately 593,000 units in North America during the five-track days following its release on August 25th. By December 2009, the PlayStation 3 version of the game had outsold the Xbox 360 version by approximately 10,000 units despite Multi platform titles typically selling better on the Xbox 360 at the time. And again, we see that because of that exclusive content, the exclusive Joker play, the exclusive DLC maps. It definitely swung it in that favor. The game took two of the top five spots on the US software chart in its first week of release and topped the UK all format chart for two weeks. Batman Arkham Asylum received critical acclaim. Metacritic gave the 360 version a 92 out of 100, the PS3 version a 91 out of 100, and the Windows version a 91 out of 100 as well. The game held the Guinness World Record for most critically acclaimed superhero game ever based on an average Metacritic score of 91.67, repeating, of course, until it was succeeded by Arkham City. So again, it took those ideas that Arkham Asylum had and just made them a little better. Repeating,
1: this is a math podcast now. Arkham Asylum was called one of the best comic book superhero games ever made. Edge Magazine said it was, by some distance, the best superhero game of modern times. IGN's Greg Miller called it the greatest comic book game of all time, and Eurogamer's Dan Whitehead called it the best superhero game bar none, and wrote that it has excellent visuals, a compelling story, and superb voice acting. Several reviewers compared Arkham Asylum to other games, including Bioshock for its ability to deliver a unique adventure and establish a connection with the game world and its innovative ideas, The Legend of Zelda for its adventuring style, Metroid for its world layout, and Resident Evil and Tomb Raider for its classic action adventuring that acts as a true hybrid of brawling, stealth, and platforming. The game world's design and the game's attention to detail were well received by critics. Game Informer's Andrew Reiner said the game's setting had a taut and mesmerizing atmosphere and was a place of wonder and inexplicable horror. Miller called it the right mix of creepy and cool and appreciated the gradual damage reflected on Batman's suit as the story progressed, but said that pixelated CGI and lip-syncing issues diminished the presentation. That's fair, I kind of forgot about the lip-syncing issues until he mentioned it now,
0: but I do remember that a little bit. I can see a point or two lost from those total reviews of out of a hundred. So I totally understand that aspect of it. Cause it can take you out of it. Sure. Um, but unfortunate things of the time. <laughs> I mean, get, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that attention to detail is, is such an important aspect because there's so much source material for Batman that I, I think that it's not too challenging to want to, you know, you could just pick a few random things out of different books and, say, hey, we're going to include this little element and throw it in there. And, and just having those references, I think, is a, a good testament to uh, how they feel about the character. Yeah, 100%. The combat system was well-received for the simplicity of its implementation, allowing players to use it effectively without learning complex combinations of special moves, and the emphasis upon timing and flow to create fluid, graceful, and satisfyingly brutal attacks. Reviewers said that the combat remained challenging, with the inclusion of more difficult to overcome enemies, and better use of combat was well incentivized without punishing those unable to master it. The design of stealth and the wide variety of methods available to disable enemy opponents were praised. Computer and video games Andy Robinson wrote that it is a thinking man's stealth game, that is the centerpiece of the game, and Edge said that the stealth offering was thrilling. Others wrote about the way in which enemies react with fear to the elimination of their allies, but some reviewers criticized the AI for allowing Batman to easily escape when discovered, and for being oblivious to Batman's
0: presence. Arkham Asylum's boss fights were criticized, though, with many reviewers labeling them as the game's biggest failing. Reviewers found that the battles often rely on old-fashioned, tedious, and repetitive game tropes that require the player to learn and repeat monotonous routines some of which in the case of bane had already been employed on lesser enemies or to confront repetitive attack patterns and one-hit deaths reviewers generally agreed that the fights were anticlimactic to their build-up spectacle the final boss fight with the joker was singled out for vapid gameplay a battle with killer croc was labeled boring and overly long and the reviewers said that they should just not have been in the game however The fear-toxin-induced hallucination segments of Scarecrow's Battles were almost unanimously praised as some of the game's best and most cerebral moments for their fourth-wall manipulation, subversion of the game's established narrative and expectations, and meta-textual influences that were compared to the battle against Psycho Mantis in the 1998 Metal Gear Solid and 2002's Eternal Darkness. So a lot of praise there, and those were great sequences going through that idea of, like, breaking into this, like, mind palace of crazy hallucinogen stuff, which is creepy and scary and fun to do, versus, yeah, the, the final Joker fight was pretty weak, kind of pretty anticlimactic to kind of finish it up, but it is hard to perfect those things while still doing everything else around it. So they definitely get a bit better, in my opinion, in the later iterations of the game, um, but I can see where people kind of hold back on that.
1: Well, and is it totally a fair criticism? I feel like saying that there are a lot of games that do boss-style battles like this and saying that Mm -hmm. for this game, that that's not right, I I don't feel like it's 100% a fair criticism because those video game tropes do exist for a reason um, in boss battles. And and yeah, I mean, sure, you don't fight a giant joker or whatever, a a souped-up joker. And you end up fighting normal Joker. I mean, Batman's whole thing with Joker is really not about the physicality of it all anyway. So if they remove that from the game, I think that's a really difficult thing to do because maybe you have a cut scene and that's not satisfying. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a fight where Batman obviously physically overpowers the Joker and that's not satisfying either. So... I think that that's definitely a difficult part of the game. Understand where they're coming from, but I, I think that that's a tough thing to criticize.
0: I go both ways because I think it's one of those things where, in most video games, your weaker enemies are building up to what you're going to do in the boss battle. So the Bane one, I vaguely understand. It's you know Bane charging at you, you jump over him. You know you got to rip some of his little pipes out. So I, I I I get, yeah, people complaining about that. But like, what do you want from the boss fights? that's above that. Uh, I mean, you can compare even like Bayonetta, which has these insane boss battles. They're like over the top button mashing, multiple sequence things. That's kind of what that game's built on. Devil May Cry, same type of idea with that, where you get into that button mashing combo idea that Batman vaguely represents. But how do you do that without turning Batman into like an anime style fighter? Like you just, you just can't in, the, in those sequences. So it's tough to do boss battles. When it's a good, when it's a good boss battle, it's a good boss battle. When it's anything else, you're like, I did it. You know, I yeah. beat Killer Croc, I beat Bane, I beat Poison Ivy. It's it's fine. You know, so I I I, I get it.
1: Yeah, if I'm being honest, uh, most boss fights I'm yeah dissatisfied with if this is the criteria because a lot of them do that exact same thing and and they're yeah they're trying to give you a different gameplay element that's not the same as the run of the mill enemies that you're fighting constantly and that means like a crazy health bar and you got to like dodge mm-hmm. certain moves so that you can attack them during this opening. And you know, that's, that's such a, a common thing. I, I would be very dissatisfied with a lot of games if I decided that was a, a, a disappointment for me.
0: Absolutely agree. I, I think it's one of those would be fun discussion of like, what's a good boss battle. What's a marginal one. And what's a bad one. But to wrap up the end of our Beautiful awards, and one of the best things of the game, the main voice cast, including Conroy, Sorkin, Valenza, and Wingard, they were all really well-received. But obviously, Hamill's performance as Joker was constantly praised, with reviewers commenting upon his excellent inflection and timing on a cackling, maniacal performance that stole the show. OneUp.com's Terry Wynn said that Deanie and Hamill's Joker was the best depiction of the character outside of The Killing Joke and Heath Ledger's incarnation in The Dark Knight. What do you think about that? What would, what would you say, kind of where would you rank this Joker?
1: I mean, I think Hamill's Joker as a whole is, is mm-hmm. extremely iconic. Right up there with Heath Ledger's version. I think Heath Ledger did such a fantastic job in that world that exists, you know, and and they had they were doing different things I think in the Dark Knight series. They were trying to make a more grounded Batman. And so what he was doing in that, I I think worked really well for that. But when I think about like the classic over the top cackling Joker, He's got that blend of the early days Mm -hmm. where he's cartoony, but he's got a little bit of a sinister edge, a more modern sinister edge. I mean, it's Hamill's Joker. And that voice, as someone who grew up watching the animated series, it's so iconic to me that I can't think of anyone else really doing the voice and, and having that same level of impact. I think that the killing joke as a story, I understand where he's coming from. I just think, like, as a story, it's an iconic story, but I don't think of that version of the Joker as an iconic version of the Joker
0: in any way. No, it's good to hear, because, yeah, Hamill's Joker, when you think of a Joker voice, that's the voice you think of, I think, every time. I think that's the voice that comes in your head, whether you're reading a comic about it. Whether you're actually playing the game or watching the series, like that's my joke or voice that I hear. So, yeah, I think him coming back to reprise that in this way that's still in an animated aspect of it, I think is fantastic.
1: Arkham Asylum's success launched a series of Batman Arkham sequels beginning in October 2011 with Batman Arkham City. Set one year after the events of Arkham Asylum, it is a direct sequel to the earlier game. It was developed by Rocksteady Studios and distributed by Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment. Manipulated by Hugo Strange, Gotham City's Mayor Quincy Sharp closes Arkham Asylum and Blackgate Prison and converts a section of the city's slums into an open-air prison known as Arkham City to house all of Gotham's criminals. While the wary Batman watches over the activities in Arkham City, the Joker is dying from his consumption of Titan the sequel introduces several new characters, including Hugo Strange, Robin, Catwoman, Ra's al Ghul, and Mr. Freeze, to the series. A limited six-issue comic series, also titled Batman Arkham City, bridging the plots of Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, was written by Paul Dini and featured art by Carlos DeAnda. The first issue was released on May 11, 2011. A third installment of the Arkham series, not developed by Rocksteady, Batman Arkham Origins, was released in October 2013, featuring a story set before the events of Arkham Asylum. A narrative sequel to Arkham City, Batman Arkham Knight, was released on June 23, 2015, and is the series' concluding chapter. Writer Grant Morrison said the game was the inspiration for their Batman Incorporated comic book. They said they wanted to capture the feeling of the Batman Arkham Asylum game. Quote, when I played that game, it was the first time in my life where I actually felt what it was like to be Batman. We are now the heroes
0: and we can look through their eyes. Big praise from Grant Morrison with that too, of, you know, kind of coming into that and being like, yep, this inspired me to write what I want. Like this gave me the idea of like what it actually feels like to be Batman in this grounded way of feeling, you know strong and powerful but still human still working through these things and to get like the eyes and ears of being the bat themselves so it's it's definitely a cool kind of capstone to bring that out for the series yeah absolutely
1: and Graham morrison very very well-known comic book writer so well versed in all things comic books to have that experience while playing this game i mean just goes to show you How great of a job they really did with
0: Arkham Asylum. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we come to a close with our coverage of Batman Arkham Asylum, let us people know, Derek, why did we choose this Batman? And what do you think of it? Well,
1: kicked off a really great, fantastic, iconic, uh, meme-friendly series of video games. I think that this really ushered in, like I was saying, just a new era, a new look into superheroes as video game characters. They've made their way into so many other mediums. And of course, you know, this was around the same time that Marvel was really kicking everything off with the MCU. I mean, they were really making this big push again. Of course, we had the Dark Knight series as well. And people were, I think, really hungry for some Batman content. But with a non-traditional movie series like the Dark Knight series was, I think that answering that with a more classic interpretation of Batman, while still putting in some more adult themes and, and things like that for a generation that I think was coming of age at the same time that grew up on that animated series, I think that it just hit all the right moments. And to you know, show the appreciation that they did for the series and the character and all the different villains, mm-hmm. I think speaks a lot to how much they just really cared uh, to deliver a good product, which I can appreciate, and they did it in a super timely manner, which I can appreciate as well. Still, a classic still holds up, still a great game, um, like a nine out of 10 for me, just a, a really fantastic
0: yeah. game. And we've echoed so many of the reasons why. This is just such an important game as well. Just what that developed for superhero games. I mean, we see a lot of games that follow this that may not take the same button combo, button mashing ideas, but let's bring up uh, Amazing Superman again uh, in the Sony era of it. Like it has that same feel of it feels so good to hit the combos in those right orders and feel that ba, ba, ba impact of those punches and web swings very much like you feel within Batman of going like back and forth between being overwhelmed with all of these baddies. And it just set such a precedent for comic book games going further. Cause we had so many duds and stinkers through so many eras of like trying to kind of follow movies. I remember the Hulk game. It's terrible. The Hulk game, the Iron Man Mm -hmm. game. It was just, it was just such a rough way to follow through with this. And so the, the Superman game from the N64, one of the worst games ever created. Like, oh. You've got a lot of bad stuff coming through with it, but then you have something that shines like this, puts those superheroes back on the map as something that can be fun to play. And for an original story taken from those villains is such a cool idea to do it. So if I had to give it a rating, it would be a POW times a blam divided by a kerpow. That's too much. Um, mixed in with a, when when I to out of ten, mm. Mm. isn't that
1: Mermaid Man and Barnacle
0: Boy? Uh, that is all of your fun action sequence various <laughs> comics that go wah 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 when it changes because that is OG uh, Batman. That is some Adam West Batman.
1: Well, that's pretty much <laughs> that's
0: one hundred percent what and Barnacle, and Boy and Barnacle Boy, Boy was. I Mermaid guess Man is, yeah. <laughs>
1: Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this was written, recorded, given to us by our friend Evan Barr and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck.
0: Beautiful people. As always want to thank those beautiful people over on Patreon. If you want to check that out, it's patreon.com finish the fight there. You can see some of our physical and digital rewards, as well as plenty of other things with a shout out for some select members. We have dust storm snide T bird, Nick Hyman and Anthony Gooch. Thank you all so much for your support. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're also on
1: Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, and we would love to see you. The link is in
0: the description below. And if you want to check us out on Twitch, you can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sourman 7 as well as Derek at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we'd love to hear from you.
0: And with that, this has been our coverage of Batman Arkham Asylum. Are there any other superhero games that you were looking for us to cover, good or bad? Or do you think there's something that rivals or is even better than the story of this? Or is there a game that was not created using The Legend of Zelda as inspiration? Please let us know. And with that... Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. And with that, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall.
1: And I am your host, Backman. (laughs) And
0: this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.